0: Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. So great to be here with you. Uh, Jason and I uh, are so inspired tonight already. We are like overflowing just being in worship with you. Thanks to the worship team for serving us tonight. And leading us to the throne of God. And I must tell you, we're very inspired by Mark and Denise. Uh, Mark, they had come to our church several times, and I would see them, and I think we barely met them. But I never got the story that he was a pastor and that he was a vineyard pastor. Uh, And so finally, I got it out of him, I don't know, second, third, fourth time we met them. And uh, I just leaned in when I found out that he was the regional director for Vineyard and that he was used to pastoring pastors, And I just was thrilled. I'm like, I I immediately knew, it's like, you are from God. (laughs) Because uh, Jason and I have been leaning into them much, and they've become dear friends, but mentors. And uh, we sometimes just get together with them and just sit and just open up and share our struggles. And they're very encouraging, and they are a gift to us. So we say thank you, and then thank you for sharing your lives and then sharing your church with us. So grateful to be here. I greet you whenever I'm out from our church. I always love to greet you uh, on behalf of our church. Our church is North Life, and we are in Gaylord, Michigan, right on the corner of Maine and Elm Street, in the down, like little quaint downtown area. And I say, it does not get any more Americana than at the corner of Maine and Elm Street. So if you're in Gaylord, it's only like 5,000 people. It's a resort area. It's very beautiful. It's worth visiting up there. If you're on your way to Mackinac Island, you can stop in and see us. But I greet you from our church. And uh, those of you at North Life that are watching online, thrilled that you're here with us. Or anyone watching online, thrilled that you are here. I want to tell you two stories before we jump into God's truth. Uh, I grew up in a town in northeast Texas, uh, Marshall. Anybody ever been to Marshall, Texas? Uh, It's uh, Interstate 20. Who's been there? Somebody's been to Marshall. Sam has been to Marshall. Okay, so Marshall, Texas, little town. Uh, And the town I was growing up in, when I was growing up in Marshall in the 80s, the best restaurant in the city was this place called The Hot Biscuit. For real, it was called The Hot Biscuit. And if you really wanted, like when I was in high school, if you really wanted to impress a girl, then you would take her to The Hot Biscuit because it was the best, it was fine dining. It was it was it was amazing. Go to the hot biscuit. It was amazing. I had great memories of the hot biscuit when I was in high school. So I grew up, went on to see the world, lived in a couple different places, and once in my mid twenties, I was back visiting my parents, and I remembered I haven't been to the hot biscuit in a while. So I said to my mom and dad, I said, "Can we please? I want to go to the hot biscuit. Can we go to the hot biscuit? It's so great." And they were like, "Okay." So we went. And I must tell you that uh, when we pulled up and walked in, I kind of looked around. I'm like, man, it kind of looks like a truck stop here. (laughs) And then, then the waitress came and she wasn't very friendly and there was food on the menu. Now, I don't mean like food that you can order. I mean, like there was food that needed to be wiped off the menu. It was dirty, right? So we ordered our food and the food came. And what do you think? It was terrible. It was awful. It was just terrible. And so I looked at my parents and I said, wow, this place really went downhill. And my mother said something incredibly profound. She said, no, it was always this way. <laughs> now you're laughing because you, have, you probably have hot biscuits in your life. When you were young and you hadn't seen the world yet, Maybe you had an experience, and you remembered it to be so glorious and so grand, and then you went back after you experienced some of the world, and you went back, and it was terribly underwhelming. And you thought, wow, this was not what I remembered it to be. And so I had now in my life, when I look back at certain things, if 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 I go back later, and I see that it's not that great, well, then I call it a hot biscuit, And, uh, you know, uh, even watching movies with my wife, sometimes I'll go back or with my children. My children are of the age now where I can watch movies. My sons are 13 and 15. So I'm bringing them movies that I liked when I was their age. And I must tell you, some of them are hot biscuits. (laughs) They're not as great as I remember them to be. I want to tell you another story. When I was about eight years old, and cameras, if you can zoom in on this, I'm going to hold it kind of close. Maybe you can see this. When I was about eight years old, I was at my grandfather's house, and I saw that he had this exact one. This is the one. All this masking tape. I've had this. I'm 53. I've had this since I was eight or nine. And I saw this on my grandfather's, like, coffee table. And I said to my grandfather, wow, I opened it up and I looked at it. And and I was like, Grandpa, you know, wow, I really like this. Can I have this? And he said, you can't have it, but you can buy it. (laughs) My grandfather was either very stingy or very smart. I think he was very smart because he knew that if I bought it from him that I would value it. So he gave me some chore to do. I don't remember what it was, but I did some chore and then he gave me this comic strip Bible. And I devoured it as a child. I read it over and over and over again. And I still keep this in my, my study at the church. And it's next to commentaries and, and Bibles that are expensive and commentaries that are expensive and valuable. And, but I still keep this here because this was my initial introduction to the story of the Bible. And I must tell you, all of these years later, I now go to the stories that were here, and tonight I'm going to bring you a story that's here. They're the same stories. And here's what I want you to know. When you go back year after year to the stories of the Bible, to the writings, to the gospel, you go back year after year, and what you'll find out is that the Bible is no hot biscuit. You see, some things you go back to, and they're better than you remember them to be. Better. And tonight, I'm going to read you, and it's it's a long story, so I want you to buckle up, get ready. It's a long story. The people doing slides tonight, bless you, because it's a lot of verses. Uh, Bless you ahead of time. This story, I knew it as a child. I read it in this comic strip Bible. But now all these years later, the story that I'm going to share with you, it's not a hot biscuit, it's better, it's better, it's better, and it's more, it has taken on more meaning than I could have ever dreamed or imagined by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the power of God's word. Now, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, can you please turn to 2 Kings chapter 18. 18. Second Kings after like Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and then Chronicles, and you go into Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, all those books. But but about maybe I don't know twenty percent into your Bible, Second Kings, uh, after First Kings of course. This is a story that is so profoundly wonderful, not a hot biscuit, but so life changing that I can't wait to share it with you. 2 Kings chapter 18, and I'm going to start in verse 1. And my Bible is an ESV, and it's heading for chapter 18 says, Hezekiah reigns in Judah. And this is what verse 1 says, chapter 18. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Tonight, I want to talk to you about Hezekiah, when he chased God and when he did not. Hezekiah, when he chased God and when he did not. Let me pray for us. God, it's true, your word... God, your word is life. It is living. It's breathing. It represents you. God, Jesus, you are the logos, the word, the meaning of life, the purpose for life. We look to your truth tonight, and we're hungry for it to be alive in us. And God, the truths that we're about to wrestle with can, for some of us, this truth will set some of us free. Some of us, God, have been unaware of bondage that we have been in. For some of us, it's going to be years, decades. For some of us, when Hezekiah chased and when he did not, the truth of this message and this passage, I pray, God, that it'll change us, it'll wreck us, and that you will make us more and more like you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, are you ready for the story of Hezekiah? It's a great story. It's a great story. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. If you know your Old Testament history, you'll remember that the first king of Israel was Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. And after the reign of Solomon, Israel divided itself into two kingdoms. There was a civil war, and there now is a northern kingdom that eventually becomes what is, we consider Samaria in the New Testament. And then in the southern kingdom, you have Judah. And in the 25th year of Hezekiah's life, in verse 2 it says he was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Hezekiah becomes the king of Judah. Judah. And we say eventually, well, we know that Jesus is eventually going to come to us from the line of Judah. Like like from his, uh, he's going to come from from those descendants of Judah. And we call him the the lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay, so here we go. Hezekiah, 25 years old. He becomes a king of Judah. And he is going to reign for 20 years nine years. So that means he's going, to, he's going to reign until he dies. And if you do your math, he's going to die at 54 years old. Now, the numbers in this story become quite important, how old he is when certain events happen. So he's 25 when he becomes king. He lives till he's 54. He reigns for 29 years. And what kind of king is Hezekiah? Because many, most of the kings after Solomon in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the majority of the kings are terribly evil. They've, they worship idols. They lead the people astray. But what kind of king is Hezekiah going to be? In verse 4, it says, He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke it in pieces, the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. Hezekiah starts to reign at 25 years old, and this is what he does. He comes in and he smashes the idols. He, 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 even the, even the, uh, the serpent that Moses had raised up in the desert for the children of Israel to look on and to be healed, they had made an idol out of it. It once had great meaning, but now it has become an idol. And Hezekiah, because he wants to honor the Lord, he smashes these idols. He does great things. And watch in verse 5, what kind of king is Hezekiah? What is he like? In verse 5, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. What kind of king is he? He's the best of them all. No one was like him before, and no one is going to be like him after. He does more good than any other king of Judah. Verse 6, For he held fast to the Lord, he did not depart from following him. He kept his commandments that the Lord had commanded. And watch verse 7. What kind of king is Hezekiah? And the Lord was with him. And wherever he went out, he prospered, he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and he would not serve him. Hezekiah gets this grand introduction. I mean, he's the best of the best no one liked before him, no one liked after. He is the best of the best. He gets this grand, wonderful introduction. So we see next, I'm going to skip over this next part. He gets this great introduction. And then we see that the northern kingdom, four years into Hezekiah's reign, four years into his reign, the northern kingdom is going to be attacked. They're taking siege by the king of Assyria. His name was uh, Sennacherib. That's hard to say. Sennacherib. And so the king of Assyria takes the northern kingdom captive four years into Hezekiah's reign. And then he has them under siege for three years. And after three years, he conquers them. Northern kingdom goes into exile. Remember, they go into exile eventually, first into Assyria and later into Babylon. And we get then the characters like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. So, but if we skip down to verse 13, the northern kingdom now is no more. It's been defeated by the Assyrians. So remember Hezekiah is 25 years old when he starts to reign and then in verse 13 it says in the 14th year of king Hezekiah so now he's 39 years old Sennacherib king of Assyria came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them So the other cities besides Jerusalem he's now conquered all of those cities in the southern kingdom which is Judah and Hezekiah king of Judah set to the uh, sent to the king of Assyria, at Lachish, and look what he says. The story is baffling. He gets this great introduction. He's the best. There's no one better before, no one better after. But what does he say in verse 14? He sends a message to the king of Assyria, and he says, I have done wrong. I've done wrong. I've done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. He's negotiating with the king of Assyria. But in his negotiations, he doesn't say, I am am this king that has torn down the idols. I am this king that has dedicated my kingdom to the glory of God. Instead, he shows up to the king of Assyria kind of timid, broken. And he says, hey, whatever you want, I'll do it. It's kind of a defeatist attitude. And he says, I have done wrong. So the big question is, what did he do wrong? Wrong. It doesn't say what he's done wrong yet. We're going to wait and see in the story. And it's good storytelling. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 300 talents of gold. So the king of Assyria says, okay, you want to save Jerusalem? Here's what I want. I want 300 uh, talents of silver and only 30 talents of gold. But watch in verse 15 what Hezekiah does. And Hezekiah gave him... All, all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold even from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts that Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. This is a curious thing. The king of Assyria says, you want to save Jerusalem? 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah turns and gives him Everything, every treasure that's in the temple, even the doorknobs, even the, the, the gold that's on the doorpost, he, he does the king of Assyria saying, he's not asking for it. But Hezekiah says, I've done wrong. What do you want? Oh, you want that? I'll just give you everything. Does this sound like a great king? somebody who's confident that he's, you know, solid in the Lord, it seems terribly defeatist. He said, I've done wrong. And he gives everything in the temple to the king. And then after that, he, the king of Assyria, he sends a messenger to, to stand outside of the city wall and to basically trash talk the people in Jerusalem. Do you guys know anything about trash talking here in Indiana? Who was it, Bobby Knight, right? Or uh, Do you guys have basketball here? Is there basketball in Indiana? Right. And do they trash talk in basketball? I think they do. Well, this is, this is trash talking that goes way beyond that. And watch, it says that uh, in verse 17, it's, he's at washer's field when this messenger is going to trash talk and taunt. It sounds like a football field or something, washer's field, soldier field or something. And uh, so, so this, this messenger from the king of Assyria, he gets up on the wall, and he's just trash-talking. Trash-talking. He's taunting them. And in, in verse 19, it says, And Rabishah said to them, say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you trust in? And what are you trusting? Where is your trust? Hezekiah is hiding inside, but his people are hearing this taunting and this trash-talking. And in verse 22, it says, he's in his taunt and trash talk. He says, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord, our God, it is not he, is it not he whose places, high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem. They're saying, hey, listen, you think you trust in God, but they're trying to twist their thinking and what they believe. He's saying, you, you think you're going to trust in God, but Hezekiah tore down the gods. He tore down the idols. So there's no one to come and save you. Of course, they're twisting. And it goes on and on and on. He talks about chariots in Egypt and also I mean, it goes on and on and on. And then he, he like, and this is terrible. In verse 7, he said to them, has my master sent you to speak the words? Oh, oh I know. He says this verse, the, 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 the guys on the wall that are the higher ranking ones, they, they say down to this messenger this taunting them, they said, listen, don't speak to us in Hebrew. Speak to us in Aramaic. Because they didn't want the rest of the people in the city to hear the terrible things that he's saying. Right, So they say, don't speak to us in what we understand. And so then he ramps it up even more and he's going to make his taunting even worse. And here's what he says. He says, has my master sent me to speak the words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and to drink their own urine? Yikes. He's just trash talking, tearing down their beliefs. And where is Hezekiah, this great king? (laughs) If He's so great, where is he? In verse thirty six, finally, when the taunting goes on and on and on, it says, But the people were silent, and they answered him the taunter, not a word. For the king's command was, Do not answer them. So then they go in and they say to Hezekiah how bad it is. And now we're in chapter 19. And it says, As soon as. So watch this again, he says, I've done wrong. What do you want? I'll give you more, I'll give you everything. But finally, he hears the the details of this taunter. And as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes. He covered himself with sackcloth. And he went into the house of the Lord. He's about to go in and chase God. He doesn't chase God when the king of Assyria says, uh, I want 300 talents of, of silver and 30 talents of gold. He doesn't, he doesn't go to God and say, God, what should I do? God, give me direction. Holy Spirit, you know, speak to me. What, God, I'm chasing after you. He doesn't, he doesn't even, doesn't even ask God. He just gives him everything in the temple. But when he hears the how that the people are going to be destroyed and that his, that his negotiations <laughs> fell terribly flat, Then he goes in, he tears his clothes, and he begins to chase God. Have you ever had a moment where it seemed like all was lost? And you you realize, you look back, you're like, I should have have started chasing earlier. You waited too long, it seems. This is Hezekiah at this moment. So he calls for the prophet Isaiah. Maybe you know about Isaiah. And he inquires of the prophet. And in verse 3, it says, This day is a day of distress of rebuke and disgrace, children have come to the point of birth and there's no strength to bring them forth. And then he says in verse four, it may be, it may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the taunter. And he wants to know, Hezekiah is having this conversation with Isaiah. I need to know from God, I'm chasing after God. I gotta know what is God, what's gonna happen. And so in verse six, Isaiah said to them, say to your master, to the messengers that Hezekiah had sent, Say to the master, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. And watch this. I will make him fall by the sword on his own land. When Hezekiah inquires of God through the prophet Isaiah, he's chasing God, tearing his clothes. He's praying, God, I need a miracle. Hezekiah receives the word from Isaiah that this king of Assyria who's so evil is gonna fall by the sword in his own land. So then I'm gonna skip down. Watch how Hezekiah prays in verse 14 after he hears this prophecy from Isaiah of what's gonna happen to Sennacherib. Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and he spread the letter out before the Lord. What Isaiah had written to him, this prophecy of what's going to happen, Isaiah spreads it out before the Lord. Have you ever received a word from someone, a word of encouragement, or word in the New Testament or the Old Testament, and sometimes you just lay it out before you and you're like, God, is this true for me? And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel enthroned above the chair of him. You are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. He goes to worship. Before he doesn't inquire of the Lord at all, he just moves forward in his own thinking. But now he's spread this prophecy out. He's worshiping the Lord. And in verse 19 it says, So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know you, O Lord, are God alone. And then verse 20, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about the king of Assyria I have heard. And then Isaiah goes into this long, poetic prophecy about what's going to happen. And it's going to end in Judah's favor. It's going to end in Hezekiah's favor. And the king of Assyria is going to be defeated. And it's going to be grand Isaiah says, he will not come into the city. And that night, in verse 35, watch what happens. You need to celebrate this. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then the king of Assyria departed and went home and lived in Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nizrach his god, Adrammelech, and Shereaz his son struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Arad and Ersat and his son reigned in his place God hears the cry of Hezekiah when he chases after him and he performs this amazing incredible victory and I read about it in my comic strip bible when I was a boy and it's even grander when we look into the details now were 73 verses. I just covered 73 verses. That's a lot. And in the story of Hezekiah, at least in Kings, there's only 21 verses left. And the big glaring question is what happened to Hezekiah? Why was this great king who did so many great things, why is he now a defeat? He's in the spirit of defeat and he's giving everything away and he's saying, I have done wrong. Maybe you're here tonight, and maybe there have been seasons in your life where you walk around saying, I've done wrong. I did wrong. And whatever wrong you did, maybe it puts you in a state where you're like, I don't deserve much. And when I come into conflict or difficulty, I just give it all up. I want to show you what Hezekiah does wrong, and then I want to bring it home, and I want to apply it to our lives. What I want to tell you is that when we get to chapter 20, we're going to get what's called a prequel. We don't know. I mean, it jumps forward and he did this wrong, but the writer of Kings doesn't tell you what it is. He's only going to tell you after this great victory, this great victory that Hezekiah realizes. After the victory, he's going to go back in time and he's going to show us what Hezekiah did wrong. In those days, Hezekiah became sick. And he was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. That's not a prophecy that you want to hear. It's not good news. Isaiah comes to him and says, get your house in order, because you're going to die. And then it says this. This is great. I love the way the writer paints this out. He says, set your house in order. And then he says in verse 2, Hezekiah turned his face... To the wall, and he prayed to the Lord, saying, Hezekiah, when he gets this news that he's going to die, watch this. On this occasion, he's not defeated. He's not ho-hum. He's not like I don't deserve anymore. He cries out to God. He turns his face to the wall. In other words, he's turning his face so that there's nothing around him. He's just like he can focus. He's blocking out the things around him. And he's like, My face is turned towards the wall. God, I need you to hear me. Even after Isaiah, the man of God has prophesied this to him. Now, O oh Lord, watch this, verse 3, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart. You know he's going back in time because before he's saying, I've done wrong. And he's willing to just take whatever comes his way. Okay, sirrah." But he says, I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart. I've done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He's chasing God with so much fervor, with so much passion, that he's weeping bitterly. And watch what God does. Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, and behold, I will heal you. Watch this. God does somewhat of a favor to Hezekiah and he tells through Isaiah the prophet, he says, "Just so you know, the natural order of things is that you're about to die. You're about to die. It's like a doctor giving someone the news, "Hey, you've got six months to live," or whatever the case might be." Isaiah tells him this, "But Hezekiah won't settle for it. He cries out to the God to God, He turns his face to the wall, God hears his prayer. Isaiah goes back in and says, "You're not going to die." And watch, it says, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, verse five, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life. This is, when we do our math, this is the same era. In fact, it's right before the king of Assyria is going to siege the city of Jerusalem. Now, I wanna start tying this all together. This is a long story, but it's a good one. He says, I will deliver you in the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. He's prophesying through Isaiah that I will deliver you from that. I will deliver you, and I will defend you for my king David's sake. And then Isaiah puts some figs on him where he's sick. He's got some sores of sorts, and he goes up three days later. He's miraculously healed, and, and Hezekiah says, can you show me a sign? He's, like, he's chasing after God. He's like, God, can you show me a sign? And there were some stairs in the palace. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hey, you know, these stairs kind of told time. And so Isaiah says, is it easier for time to go forward or back? You want a sign from God? God will often give us a sign. And so he says, I want time to go backwards. And Isaiah's like, okay. And the sun goes backwards on these stairs. God is honoring Hezekiah's chasing. It's a miracle. But then watch what happens. You want to know what Hezekiah did wrong. We see it, and oddly enough, the story again is out of order. It's gonna be the ending of Hezekiah's story, at least in the flow here. It's tragic at that time in verse 12. The Babylonians, they sent envoys with letters and presents to Hezekiah for they'd heard that he'd been sick. So they hear that he'd been sick, the Babylonians who were eventually going to conquer the Assyrians, they hear that he's been sick and so they go to visit him and to congratulate him, to honor him for being healed. He gets healed. He gets healed miraculously. God, hears his prayer. He's healed. And then watch what he does. Hezekiah welcomed them and he showed him all his treasure in his house. The silver, the gold, The spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. Again, we know the story is out of order because he'd already given all of his silver and gold. He gave everything to the king of Assyria. But the Babylonians are seeing it before that. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Was he proud or just stupid? Why would he show a potential enemy all of the treasure in his house and in the temple? Isaiah gets wind of it in verse 14. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say and from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, they have come from a far country from Babylon. And he said, Isaiah said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that is in my house and there's nothing in my storehouse that I did not show them. And then watch again, Isaiah sometimes brings bad news. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you whom you will father shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And then watch what Hezekiah says. When Isaiah tells him, you're going to die, get your house in order, Hezekiah turns his face to the wall, he cries out to the Lord. When the Assyrians have besieged Jerusalem and they're about to conquer it, he spreads out this prophecy from Isaiah and he cries out to the Lord, he cries out to God, and God moves miraculously, he does a miracle. In this occasion, when Isaiah tells Hezekiah the natural order of things, because of your stupidity and because of your pride, This is what's going to happen. All your treasure is going to end up in the palace in Babylon, and your future sons are going to be carted off to Babylon also. And watch his response. It's baffling. In verse 19, Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word that you've spoken is good. For he thought, Why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. Why not? Why not? if there will be peace and security in my days, how selfish and short-sighted is this? He's not thinking of his children, his grandchildren. He's not thinking of his kingdom. He's not thinking of Judah. He's just like defeated. And watch this. It's so important. Get this. When the city is under siege and the people are about to be destroyed and the city is about to be destroyed, he cries out to God, God, do a miracle. When he's sick, He cries out to God, weeps, chases God, God do a miracle, and God does. But watch this. This is so important. When Hezekiah sins, when he messes his life up, when he fumbles, at that point, he just says, okay, I guess that's what I deserve. I guess that's gonna be my plight. I guess that's gonna be the plight of my ancestry, it's gonna be the plight of my kingdom. And this is such an important message because my guess is that there are people in this room, and I'll tell you a bit of my story, but there might be people watching online or in this room tonight, and maybe there were times in your life where you cried out to God, you chased God, you prayed fervently in faith for God to do a miracle for you. Maybe you were sick and you needed healing, and you prayed in faith. Or maybe you were being bombarded by an enemy of some kind, and you prayed in faith, God, do a miracle, and God did. But when you failed, and you messed up, and you sinned, maybe you went. I guess this is just what life's going to be. And uh, maybe, maybe you went through a divorce decades ago. Maybe you messed up as a parent. And you didn't, maybe fathers, you didn't follow Paul's instruction. Maybe you provoked your children to anger. And after you failed as a parent, you just went, well, I guess this is what my kids are going to be like. I guess this is what my family is going to look like. The natural order of things said, when you made these decisions, when you messed up, when you sinned, when you failed, well, now the natural order of things are just going to take over, and you're just going to have to settle. And the curious thing is that these miracles that happened, now we, you, you look and you think, okay, this happened where he failed in this way. After it, he actually has faith for the city of Jerusalem, He has faith later for the city, but he doesn't have faith that his life will again become prosperous and thriving. And I must tell you, I went, I'm 53, as I said, and I've been in ministry for many years. And got ordained when I was like 23. And sadly and tragically, I went through a divorce about 13 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago. And I must tell you, I was devastated about my failure. A failed marriage is a death. And at the time, I looked around and I just thought, what is the natural order of things? The natural order of things is surely I'll never be in ministry again. Surely I'll never serve the church again. And when things were spoken over me, I just went, well, as long as it's not, you know, as long as there's peace in my lifetime, to use Hezekiah's words. I, I, I didn't, I, I, it was, took me a long time to get to the place where I'm like, God, do a miracle in my life. God, do a miracle in my family. Do a miracle in my children. Do a mil- miracle in my marriage. God, do a miracle in my ministry. God, cry out. But for, there was a season where I was just like, okay, I guess this is just it for me. This is just it. Let me bring some application to this for you. This is gonna be my, my call for you. In the Psalms, uh, there are, in, it starts in Psalm 1, like around 130. There are 10 Psalms and they're called Songs of Ascent. And the Songs of Ascent were prayers of people who were in despair, who had failed. And the Songs of Ascent, They they start heavy. They start somewhat sad, but they don't stay there. They lift. They don't stay in despair. So watch this. This is my favorite one. This is Psalm 130, and this is historically called the De Profundis, because when the Bible for 1,200 years was predominantly read in Latin, the Latin Vulgate, the first few words were De Profundis. We translate them out of the depths. I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths, and it's really, it's a, it's a picture of like God from hell itself, like from Sheol is the Hebrew word. God from death itself, from the lowest place. God, I'm crying out to you. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? God, if you kept track of our sins, if you kept track of our failures, if you kept track, God, nobody would be able to stand. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The psalmist is lifting himself. He starts by saying, God, from Sheol, from hell itself, from De profundis, from the depths of despair, God, I'm crying out to you from this horrible, horrible place. And my guess is, many of you here tonight have found yourself in seasons where you were de profundis, you were in the depths, you were in great despair, great sorrow. And maybe some of you are still stuck there. You never got out. And maybe you had faith for miracles even after that, but you've never lifted out of that de profundis, depth, sheol place. And then in verse five, the psalmist is ascending, he's lifting himself, he's not staying in despair. He says, I wait for the Lord. He's saying I'm chasing after God, I'm chasing, I'm waiting, my soul waits and in his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. He's preaching to himself right here. He's doing self-talk. So my soul man, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm crying out. I'm chasing after God from I'm lifting myself out of that place of despair, day de profundis. I'm not going to be stuck there. I'm coming out of it. And then watching verse 7, he goes to preaching. He's not in despair anymore. He's not day profundus. He says, "Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there's steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption." And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The thing is that Hezekiah, as great a king as he was, no one greater before, no one greater after, he gets stuck in a place of despair. He just accepts his plight. And eventually, what was prophesied happens. The Babylonians eventually end up with all his treasure because they go take it from the Assyrians. And eventually, Hezekiah's descendants are going to be marched into exile in Babylon. And my question for you is this. What could have happened in history had Hezekiah prayed Psalm 130? from, from God, from day profundity, from the depths of despair, Hezekiah could have, because this psalm was already in existence. It was already there. It was already there. If he would have just prayed it and cried it out, it, it could have happened that God could have intervened again and changed all of history. The Babylonians didn't have to end up with his descendants and they didn't have to end up with his treasures. So my question for you is this. Metaphorically speaking, what was your bragging to the Babylonians moment? Where was a place in your life where you're like, man, I did not do God's will. I let myself down, I let others down. And you're still a believer, you're still a Christian, you still love Jesus, but maybe you've accepted the natural order of things. And my plea to you is chase after God to do miracles in your life and to defy what the natural order of things says. Pray Psalm 130 from the depths, I cry out to you for mercy. Hezekiah is remembered as great. But in the end, he settles. And my encouragement to you is don't settle. Jace is going to come. We want to sing a song over you. And we want to invite you to sing it. And then we're going to go into ministry time. And Pastor Mark is going to come. And I just want you to think, what was your bragging to the Babylonian moment in your life? Maybe you've never had one, but maybe you have. Go right ahead.
1: Okay. Um, You know, this is just a little something I'd like to add to this message. Um, From my personal experience, so I I had a moment that that Kurt is talking about being in the depths of hell, right? Making some mistakes in my life that caused me great pain, okay? Okay. And I was stuck in that place for a really long time, probably for about six or seven years. I got stuck in shame and I got stuck in fear. And I believed the lies of the enemy that he said, you're disqualified and you're finished. And my life started taking a weird turn because of it, you know, just it's when you start believing those lies, right? You start living them out loud. And I, there was one day and this is how, what God did for me to break this off of my life and maybe for some of you maybe this is a word for you as well tonight I remember driving in my car I was dropping off my daughter at the airport in Chicago back to college she was going to see if and I and I was driving back home and my life was just falling apart because I believed that lie and I was stuck in fear and I was stuck in shame and I was stuck in guilt And I heard the Lord say, Jace, do you believe that I can still bless your life? Do you believe that I can still bless your life despite of what was done? I thought, Lord, you know the answer. You actually want me to say it? You know the answer, Lord. I'll be so happy with crumbs. Just give me some crumbs, Lord, and I'll be glad. And this is what the Lord said your worthiness to be blessed by me has nothing to do with who you are and what you have done your worthiness to be blessed by me has everything to do with who my son is and what he has done and I've heard this so many times before to put on Christ but in this moment I truly understood, I pictured myself putting on Jesus, putting on his worthiness, putting on his holiness, putting on his purity, because I knew I didn't have any of that. And I knew that putting on Jesus meant that God saw that. That's what he saw when he looked at my life. And that's what he blessed when he saw. So tonight, you might be stuck in shame. You might be believing the slide that says, you're forgiven. Just like Kurt was saying, but here's the consequence. You better be stuck in your consequences for the rest of your life. Here's the crumbs. But I believe that God is saying to you tonight what he said to me that night. He wants to put on Jesus on you. He wants to put his holiness, his purity, his worthiness upon your life. So, we're going to sing this song, and I think uh, we're going to have a time of prayer. If that's what you desire tonight, you sing, God, break off shame, break off fear. Let me see myself like you see me.
0: So they're gonna sing, and I just want you to reflect. Does that make sense? Just take a few moments, sit, and then we'll move into some ministry time.
2: Blessed are Sharon's, Jesus. Sing. Smart. Come on, proclaim it tonight. And heard, and he Come on. That's why I trust him. That's why, why I trust myself we'll I saw the Lord and he heard, and he answered. Answer.
0: Never fail, he will
2: never fail one more time. I trust in God, my Savior.